Well, and I've got good news for you today. Jesus loves you. That's good news, isn't it? Well, and the real good news is, it doesn't make any difference what you've done or who you've been, where you've been. Jesus still loves you. Now, what's going on with the, the movie, the umbrella and all that kind of thing, and, and everybody gone, uh, <laughs> is Vacation Bible School. And so we're doing Vacation Bible School the same time as we're doing church services here, and we're all talking about the same kind of stuff. We just got a lot of people working with your kids back there in the back. They're going to be doing that for the next uh, four Sundays uh, on the theme of Weathered for Christ. And so all the umbrellas. Now, they just picked up a bunch of umbrellas that were laying around in the church. If you spot one of your umbrellas in here, that one is mine right there that has been laying around the church. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave it here for the next four weeks anyway. Uh, you've, you've probably had it left here for the last uh, four or five weeks, and that's the reason they picked it up. Uh, but uh, we're going to be doing Weathered for Christ for the next four weeks and how our faith, I think as much as anything, our faithfulness helps us to weather the storms and the bad situations we find ourselves in in life. Now today we're going to talk about how love helps us, uh, is, is uh, faith, faithfulness through our love or loving faithfulness helps us to weather the storms in our life. We're going to be looking at four different characters over the next five weeks, and then all four of them on the fifth week as we tie things up. But today we want to talk about Ruth and Naomi. So let's begin first with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your eternal love. And Father, I pray that as we discuss this subject of love, you'll help us to understand that you have loved us with an everlasting love that has existed through all time, space, through every situation of life, and has overcome every power and principality in the world and in the world that we cannot see. Father, thank you for that love that transcends all that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, one time I heard a man say something. His name was Carl Ketcherside, a brilliant man uh, from a different denomination. Uh, the Churches of Christ was trying to bring all our branches of the Restoration Movement together. And he used to use the phrase, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about that. And what he was saying was, regardless of how you treat me, regardless of what you may do to me, I'm going to love you because he understood something, that there is an eternal nature and quality to love that transcends everything, every other situation we find ourselves in, in life. Love is eternal. Now, I don't think we understand that. I think a lot of times we're like one little girl that a fellow by the name of John Wagner, or rather Joe Wagner, wrote about in the Reader's Digest. Seemed like this little girl had a, a championship lamb in, a, in a, uh, a junior stock show. He said, I was there watching that and saw this lamb owned by a little girl that was being auctioned off. And as the bids reached $5 per pound, the little girl standing beside that lamb in the arena began to cry. At $10, the tears were streaming down her face, and she clasped her arms around her little lamb and tightly held that lamb by the neck. The higher the bids rose, the more she cried, till finally a local businessman bought the lamb for more than $1,000. But then he announced that he was donating that lamb back to that little girl, and the crowd applauded and cheered. Well, months later... Joe Wagner says, I was judging some statewide essays when I came across one from a girl who wrote about a time that her grand championship lamb had been auctioned off. And the girl wrote that the prices began to get so high during the bidding that I started to cry from happiness. 
And she continued with, And the man who bought the lamb for so much more than I ever dreamed that I would ever get returned the lamb to me. And she said, And when we got the lamb back home, Daddy barbecued the lamb and it was delicious. I said, Man, I really love that little lamb. Now isn't it funny how love can kind of turn sometimes? And how oftentimes we use that word love in a lot of different ways in the English language. Well, it wasn't that way in the Bible. In the Bible, the word love had eternal meaning to it. And there was one person who seemed to understand that as much as anybody else, and that was a young lady by the name of Ruth. Ruth was a, a woman who, who came into contact with a very special woman, a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi, in fact, was her mother-in-law. Now, there's a whole book in the Old Testament dedicated to the story of this lady named Ruth, and actually it's the story of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi was a lady who lived in Bethlehem with her husband. They decided to move to the land of Moab. Now, when they got there, they settled down, and Ruth and, and her husband had two sons, and they married Moabite women, or, or rather, Naomi uh, had two sons, and they married Moabite women. Now, one of these sons married a young lady by the name of Ruth. Unfortunately, while all these families were settled down together, the husband and the two sons, all three, passed away, leaving Naomi destitute with these two daughter-in-laws, and they didn't know what to do. And so Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, you just need to go back to your own families, to your own people, to your own country. I'm going back to my own country. I'm going back to Bethlehem. And so you just need to go back to your own people so they can take care of you, because I, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have any more sons. I don't have any more uh, wealth. I have nothing to give you. I have no way to take care of you. So you just need to go back to your own people. And that's where the story that I'm going to read to you takes up in Ruth, the first chapter, starting with the 15th verse. Naomi says, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back. One of the young ladies says, cries and weeps, and at first says, Oh, I'm not going back. And then she does. She decides she's going to go back home. And Ruth is standing there clinging to Naomi. And Naomi says to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And, where, and there I will be buried. And thus, the Lord do, uh, and thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. And in fact, Ruth did indeed go with her back to Bethlehem. And there they lived a life of destitute for a while. They had nothing. Ruth had told her, Naomi had told Ruth, I have nothing for you back there. But they get back to Bethlehem and they began to do what Israelites did if they didn't have anything to eat. They began to glean the fields. And that meant, according to the law, the Old Testament law was put in place to take care of those who didn't have anything. And that meant that if you had a land that you produced a great crop on, you were not allowed, you were not supposed to, to, to uh, harvest that land all the way out to the edge of your property. You were to kind of harvest the middle, leave the edges, and leave the corners, and leave the part that fell on the ground for people to glean. And Ruth and Naomi, actually Ruth would go out behind the harvesters, and she would collect what fell on the ground and also glean from the corners and from the edge of the field that was left for people who had nothing. And that's what she did according to the law. That was God's way of taking care of those who had nothing. Well, God also had another interesting law. It was called the Leverite Law. And according to that law, if 
if a man uh, died and left a wife, his brother had to marry that woman. And it had to do with property and had taken care of the widow and all those kinds of things. It was called the Leverite Law. Some of you may remember in the New Testament one time, the Pharisees were trying to uh, trick Jesus, and they asked Him this question. They said, a man died and, and left a wife, and she married his brother, and he died, and, and, he mar- and then she married his other brother, all the way down to seven brothers, and they all died. And so when, they, when she gets to heaven, whose uh, wife is she going to be? And Jesus said, well, you don't, you know, you're just trying to deceive me. And we think, man, what a weird law. And, you know, my wife has already told me, I am not marrying your brother. If you die, I am not marrying your brother. Well, we don't have the same situation they had back then. Basically, a widow had no way of taking care of herself. And there was land and property also invested in this widow. She has already inherited the son's property. So in order to keep that in the family, because the family was get, uh, the, the, the property of the land of Israel was given to people through families to keep the property in the family... Then the son, the next, the next brother, rather, had to marry the widow. It kept the property. And so there was all these different things happening. It's just God's plan for keeping things in the family and keeping the family solid and keeping people taken care of. And that plays into the fact that later on down the line, Ruth is going to meet this guy named Boaz. And Boaz is a kinsman. Now, he is not the closest kinsman. You see, it is the responsibility of the closest kinsman to marry that widow. Keep the property in the family and all these kinds of things. And, but the, the, the main guy looks at this widow and says, I don't want I can't do it. I can't bring her into the family and, and mess up the inheritance of my sons and everything else. And so Boaz is the next in line. Boaz is a man who falls in love with Ruth. Now they do everything according to the law. And so Ruth actually does exactly what she says. She says to Naomi, in essence, I love you and there's nothing you can do about that. And she says, your people are going to be my people. And so when she goes to be with Naomi's people, all their customs, all their rituals, all their rites, she obeys every single one of them. Now, I don't know how things were in Moab, but I imagine the way things worked in Moab, if if you wanted somebody, you just went to them and that was it. Well, that didn't happen with Ruth. She found this man and she did go to him, but she would not sleep with him. She would not give herself to him, but she simply allowed the law, the Leverite law, to play itself out until she was in fact purchased by him. It's kind of interesting she was bought with a sandal, but you know, you know I don't want to go into all that. It's a real difficult process to kind of go through that and understand it. But she obeyed the law to the letter. So not only had Naomi's people become her people, Naomi's God had become her God. She obeyed the law and she remained faithful to Naomi and to her husband Boaz until her death. And because of that faithfulness, her love was shown and now becomes a shining demonstration of the true nature of true love, that it is eternal. And also because of her loving faithfulness, she is in the line and the lineage of Jesus Christ Himself. She is one of Jesus' ancestors. But she was saying, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about that. Take me back to your people. Take me away from my family. That's okay, I'll go because I love you and there's nothing you can do about that. Take me into poverty, that's fine. I love you and there's nothing you can do about that. Sell me for a sandal, that's okay, because I love you and I love my husband and I love your God and there's nothing you can do about that. I'm going to be obedient. 
And I'm going to be faithful because I love with an everlasting and a true love. Now that is what the characteristic of love is all about. And that love changed her life and made her into a completely different person and got her through the storm so that she is now honored in the book of the Bible because of her loving faithfulness. Because she understood that true love is eternal. But that's what Paul tries to teach us in the New Testament. The nature of love is eternal. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, Paul says this. He says, love never fails. He means it's eternal. It never gives up. He says, now where there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. He says, all these great spiritual gifts are going to be gone someday. But he goes on to say this. He says, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Because what Paul actually goes on and says, he says, when, he says, now I see as in a mirror dimly. He said, but one day I'm going to see face to face. And then I'm going to understand everything perfectly. And when that happens, when that happens, when that which is perfect has come, many things are going to go away. And when I see Jesus Christ, guess what else is going to be done away with? Faith will be gone. Faith, according to the writer of Hebrews, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when we see Jesus Christ, we will believe in Him, but we will no longer have faith in Him because we will see Him. It's different. When we say, well, when we say, show me and then I will believe, that's not faith. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's the faith He wants us to have. To walk by faith and not by sight. It's different. It's more difficult. But that's what Jesus wants from us. But that goes away when we see Him face to face. And one day we're going to see Him in heaven. You know what Paul says about hope? Hope that is seen is no longer hope. We don't hope for that which we have. I mean, it's mutually exclusive. If we got it, we don't have to hope for it anymore. So faith and hope... Two great motivations of the Christian life are going to be gone. But we will never cease to love Jesus Christ even in heaven. It will never go away. Love is the only eternal quality of our lives. And that's why Paul says these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love because it's the only thing that is eternal. That will last through all eternity. And has to last that way in our lives, regardless of what is going on in our lives. Because that's what true love is all about. William Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the princess was seriously ill with diphtheria. And the doctor told the princess not to kiss her daughter because it would endanger her life by breathing the child's breath. Well, once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, forgetting herself entirely, took the little one into her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the child said to her, Mama, please kiss me. And without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. And the mother got diphtheria. And some days thereafter, she went to be forever with the Lord because she truly loved. You see, real love forgets itself. Real love knows no danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. The Bible says many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it, because the Bible says love never fails. Love is eternal. 
And love overlooks everything and does not take into account the worthiness of the object that's being loved. And that's important for us to understand when we come to what is the memory verse of the passage that the kids are learning back in the back. Some of you can talk about this with your kids. Others of you as are looking at the crowd need to talk to you, maybe your grandkids about this. But the, the memory verse is this. At one point in Jesus' ministry in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, a lawyer stood up in the 35th verse and asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is the memory verse. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now that's the memory verse. Why they stopped there? I don't know. Because Jesus didn't stop there. He couldn't stop there. I guess because they just have one verse. I mean, we're talking about little kids. Let's give them a break, okay? But we're adults. We can move on from that because Jesus says the second commandment is likened to the first and He never gave the first without giving the second. Do you understand that? Jesus never one time said the greatest command is this without going on and saying the second is equal, making them on an equal plane, that the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Everything that's written about in your Bible is what Jesus is saying hinges on these two commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And thank God it didn't use Luke, so they left out strength. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Say that with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, you got the memory verse down. You can repeat that to your kids. I'm going to tell them in the back to ask you when they get home about your memory verse because you're going to get the same one every week, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But the second is just as important, to love your neighbor as yourself. And everything that is said in the Bible hinges on those two commands. And that is the eternal nature of the Bible. And that is the eternal nature of these commands. This is the kind of love that we're to have for our God and for those around us. A kind of love that never takes into account the worthiness of the object being loved or what the object does to us or what the object has done or where it's been or what it, what it is. Love goes beyond all of that and is eternal. That's what true love is all about. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is entitled The Princess Bride. This movie is about true love. Now, in this movie, this girl falls in love with this farm boy. He goes off to make his fortune so that he can afford to marry her, but unfortunately, he's captured on the sea by the dread pirate Roberts. Now, during that time, the prince of the land, Prince Humperdinck, Decides he's going to take for himself a princess. And because of this young girl's beauty, he decides he's going to take her. She does not love the prince, but because he has the right to choose her, she has decided that she is going to marry him. However, she's captured. And then the dread pirate Roberts comes and removes her and rescues her from her captors. And then she finds out something exciting and new and interesting about the dread pirate Roberts. Wesley was the dread pirate Roberts. Her true love was still faithful. And he had never forgotten her, and she never forgot him. And even death could not stop true love, because true love is eternal. And I like the fact that she loved this poor farm boy over the prince, because true love does not take into account the object or the loveliness of the object that it is loving. The fact that she could be married to a rich prince didn't change the fact that she loved the poor farm boy more. And they would never be apart again. True love is eternal. So what does that mean 
to us. Well, if we love the Lord our God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we love Him no matter what comes our way, right? And that's easy to say, but what about when things are rough? What about in bad times? I know a lot of times I've sat with people and they've told me about how they hate God, how they're so angry with God because God has taken away their loved one. God has brought them to great pain. God has caused great difficulties in their life. And now, even though they at one time loved God, they no longer love God. I question whether they ever loved Him at all. I think of a man like Job who suffered through all kinds of problems and sorrows and, and torment in his life. And his words were this in Job 13, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And he goes on to say, And in my flesh I will see him. He says, I will still trust in my God, even if he takes my life. He, I, he says, what, are we just supposed to accept blessings from God and not the curses also? What about the Apostle Paul? I don't know what kind of conversation life he had with Jesus, but it seems like they talked to each other an awful lot face to face. And I remember there was a time in Paul's life when he had this physical problem. He called a thorn in the flesh. And he talked to Jesus three times about it and asked him three times to take that thorn away. And every time Jesus said to him, I don't think so, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. And you know what? Paul never one time said, well, forget this apostle thing, Dan. I'm going back home. I used to love you, but you're letting me go through this problem and it's all your fault. So I hate you, God, and I'm angry with you. Now, I don't know that it's wrong to be angry with God. I think Job got a little angry with God until the end. But we need to understand, even in our anger, we still love God because love is eternal. I appreciate what Corey Timboom said about her God. Even through all the suffering she went through, she said, I still believe in a God who's too kind to ever be cruel and too wise to ever make a mistake. She understood what it was to love the Lord, her God. I sat with a man not long ago in the hospital, and he talked about the fact that his wife of many years might be taken from him. And he says, if that's the Lord's choice, I don't like it because I want my wife, my best friend, to be with me forever. But God has been good to me all my life. And so if that's what he decides, I accept it. And I'm ready for it because even if that happens, I know that she's going to be in a better place. And I can't help but be glad for her in that. He says, I love my God no matter what happens in my life. And what about friends? Boy, it's easy to love friends when they're being nice to us. But how easy is it to get hacked with somebody when they cut you off on the, on the interstate? Or when somebody hurts your feelings, and most of the times unintentionally, but sometimes intentionally. What does the Bible says? say about love? It says this. Paul talks about it in the 13th chapter. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Paul is saying, regardless of what happens to us in our life, the only way to weather those storms is to continue to love. That's the only thing that gets us through. And that's not dependent upon what happens to us or how people treat us or what even God may seem to be passing on into our lives. You know, a lot of times we give God a bad break. 
I've heard people gripe about how God has taken somebody away from them, and then they go on to talk about the fact, well, yeah, but that person smoked for 50 years, was 75 pounds overweight, ate fat all the time, and on and on and on, and now they've had a heart attack, and God's taken them away. Well, come on! We make choices in our lives, and sometimes they're not good ones. And we reap what we sow. And even when we don't make choices about those situations, Adam made a choice a long time ago that left us in a world that is now marred with sin, and we live in that same world. And it's always going to be imperfect. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because every time I suffer... Every time I go through difficulties, I am reminded of the glad fact that this world is not my home, and it makes me long for heaven, and it makes me love the fact that God has planned a better place for me even more. And I tell you, this loving thing is not easy. It's not an easy thing. I'm not here to pretend that it is easy. But I can always tell you this, that love will always help you weather the storms. Because it weathered the storms in Christ's life. You see, our love isn't based on the fact that we're so good. Our love is based on the fact that God first loved us with an everlasting love. Paul talks about the eternal nature of God's love in Romans the 8th chapter. And he says this about that. He talks about the sufferings and the problems and how the whole world is groaning. Like in the pains of childbirth. Waiting for that time when all this imperfection is going to be done away with. And he talks about the fact that God loves us through all these things. He says, what shall we say to these things, these sufferings, these problems? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also along, also with him freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yea, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither height nor death nor life nor angels nor principalities, neither things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus demonstrated the truth of His eternal love. When He died on the cross for He overcame all of these things. And Jesus was saying to us, I love you, and there's nothing you or Satan or any other power in the universe can do about it. Because I love you. And that's what our love is based on. It's based on the fact that God first loved us. That's the only way we can love people. 1 John, the fourth chapter, talks about this fact. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, then God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. 
By this we know that we abide in Him and He is in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. He says this is how we love each other. It's because God's love abides in us by His Spirit. If we know God, if we are around God, if we abide in God, then God rubs off on us. Uh, the story of the movies coming out at the end of this month, Get Smart. Uh, that was based on a TV story that uh, was all the way back in the 70s. I love that story. A guy, uh, that, 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 that TV show, a guy started in, was named Don Adams. Uh, you might have heard of some of Don's, well, you might have heard of Tennessee Tuxedo or, or Go Go Gadget, uh, maybe some cartoons from your younger age. Well, that guy had an infectious accent and way he talked that just rubbed off on people. And he changed the vocabulary of America. Before long, everybody was saying, sorry about that. When we were saying, missed it by that much. And, and uh, you know, all different kinds of things. Because it's just infectious and it wore off on us. I one time heard Mike Douglas in an interview saying, I spent the afternoon with Don Adams and before it was all over, I was talking just like him. Because it just rubbed off. Well, when we're in the presence of God, then He rubs off on us by His Holy Spirit and we love the way God loved. If we keep our eyes and our mind on Him. The problem is, we too often send our eyes on ourselves and we forget the eternal nature of God's love. It's vitally important, if we're going to weather the storms, that we keep our mind focused on Jesus Christ and His love and how far He went to show us how much He loves us. It surpasses all time and space, and matter. It overcomes all the powers of the universe, whether seen or unseen. It has lasted for 2,000 years and reaches to us if we keep our hearts open to Him. A, a story is told about a medieval monk one time that announced that he was going to be preaching the next Sunday night on the love of God. And as the shadows began to fall and the light began to ceased to come through the cathedral windows, a congregation began to gather. And the old monk showed up in the darkness and he lit one candle. And he simply went to the front of the church where a crucifix was hanging. And he took that candle and he first went to the head of Christ and he lit up and illuminated the crown of thorns in his head. And then he went to each hand and illuminated the nail that was in each hand. And then down to the side and then down to the foot. And he turned to the crowd and he blew out the candle and he left because he had just preached the love of Jesus. And the crowd got it and left in hushed silence with him because they heard the message of what he's saying, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him, no matter where you've been or what you've done, or who you are. He gave His Son for you. Because God wants you to know this. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because His love is eternal. That's what God wants you to know. And that's what God wants you to understand. And the only way not to receive that love is to reject Him. But he still offers it to you, even in this moment, 
regardless of who you are and what you've done. Jesus loves you. Let's pray and thank Him about that. Father, we thank You for that love. Help us to love with the eternal love that You have shown us that reaches across time and space, even across death, pain and suffering. Thank You for loving us with an eternal love. For this we pray in Jesus' name. and Amen. He's extending that love to you just now. If you'd receive that love, then we invite you to come and receive it. Ruth received the love from Naomi and passed it back to her and loved her forever and loved her people and loved her God and gave her life to her and went with her wherever she was going. Well, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Because he has loved us so much, he wants us to return that same love back to him and say to him, your God will be our God. We will be your people. Wherever you go, we will go. And we will love you no matter what happens. Because you loved us in spite of who we are. If you love Jesus like that, we invite you to come and receive him just now as your Savior. To open your heart and allow him to come in. Be baptized into his death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. Renewed, remade. So that he can love you forevermore. Would you come and receive him just now as we stand and sing? Amen.